This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. What happens when you take members of the public and put them into high risk movie level stunts? You get the British Late Late Breakfast Show and the terrible tragedy that unfortunately resulted in death. The Late Late Breakfast Show incident of 1986 involved a regular citizen named Michael Lush falling to his death while training for a stunt for the show. Many asked how this could happen and why there weren't more safety precautions taken. The tragedy that occurred on the BBC's Late Late Breakfast Show was not only a terrible accident, but would create reform in broadcasting still followed to this day. If you're from the UK and grew up in the 80s, I'm sure you remember this. If you live outside the UK, it's still a fascinating story that's hard to believe actually happened. It also harkens back to an era where precautions were not at the forefront, legalities weren't as prominent, and more risks were taken. So that's what we're going to look at here today. Before we move on, stay around to the end to hear the latest episode just released on the Everything 80s Movie Club over at patreon.com and an awesome Patreon of the Week bio. Okay, let's get right to it. So what was the Late Late Breakfast Show? As mentioned, if you lived outside the UK, there's a good chance you've never heard of the show, but every country seems to have its own version of it. Despite being called a breakfast show, the Late Late Breakfast Show is actually broadcast on Saturday nights. Except for sports, Saturday nights during primetime aren't a big night for North American TV. Even Saturday Night Live doesn't come on until way after primetime. Everyone tends to be out on Saturday nights, and it's just not worth airing anything, hoping to attract big ratings. American networks learned early on to not air anything too significant on Saturday nights. But in the UK, Saturday nights have always been a big television night. This was especially the case in the 70s and 80s. Some of the biggest ratings of the week took place on Saturday nights. And in the 70s and 80s, there was no internet, streaming services, even home video. The only thing people had for entertainment was the TV, and Saturday nights were one of the few nights in the week when the whole family was together. So I'm Canadian and partly grew up in England as I've covered on this show, so during the 80s and that time period I can attest to how important that night was. On a Saturday night in the late 70s and early 80s, more than half of the country was watching TV. There was a massive audience out there and the BBC would try to go after it with the Late Late Breakfast Show. The easiest way to sum up this show is like the old days of David Letterman. It was a variety show that started on September 4th, 1982. It would be hosted by Noel Edmonds, who was a former BBC One radio DJ. Co-hosts included Scottish actress Lenny Harper, along with Michael Smith or Smitty, and John Peel, who was another BBC radio DJ. 
The show struggled at first, but then found its groove as a great way to feature popular musical acts. ABBA appeared on the show a few times, and their last ever TV appearance was on The Late Late Breakfast Show. The show also featured comedy bits and hidden camera gags along with the big pop music performances. There was even a controversial situation with Paul McCartney that ended up pissing off Olivia Newton-John, which is the most 80s sentence I think I've ever said, but that's a whole other huge story. The main thing is, everyone is very aware of the Late Late Breakfast Show. One popular segment on the show was called Give It a Whirl. Viewers at home could phone in to have the whirly wheel spun. This was a big Price is Right style wheel that landed on various stunts. The viewer, with the stunt selected, was given a week to train for it before appearing on the next week's show to perform it. You can already see what a ridiculous idea this was. It has shades of stupid human tricks from Letterman. This was the ultimate don't try this at home feature. But some of these stunts were legitimately terrifying and definitely not for a member of the general public to perform. Some stunts included jumping a car through a giant hoop engulfed in flames. Another one involved a member of the public riding a motorcycle on the wall of death, which are those giant roulette-type wheels for a motorcycle. Another stunt would involve, yet again, a member of the public being pulled by helicopter from a chimney before it exploded. Someone thankfully canceled this one when it was protested enough by the government's health and safety division. Another involved a woman named Barbara Sleeman. In 1983, they fired her out of a cannon. Fortunately, she only broke her shoulder. So how was this possible? Well, if you listen to my show on Action Park in New Jersey, which I recommend going back to listen to. This was the 1980s, and the regulations we have today that seem obvious weren't always a thing back then. It would be situations involving the Late Late Breakfast Show that would put into place the regulations that would seem obvious. It's not like people weren't speaking up against this. The BBC was threatened with legal action by the Health and Safety Executive, which was a UK government agency. The threats resulted in nothing, and somehow, the show could carry on. The BBC even doubled down on the danger by declaring their show to feature, quote, some of the most daring feats ever seen on British TV, unquote. If you know anything about the BBC today, they are a place where there seems to be more regulations and restrictions than any other network in the world. But in 1986, it was all about attracting the most viewers possible, and danger was a great way to draw them in. And that led to incidents like the car crash. Rich <laughs> Smith on his first solo flight. I am moving backwards uh, as I talked to him, actually, because uh, I'm a bit of a coward. He's coming up to the ramp now. He's going very, very fast indeed. Very fast. Well, obviously, we'll keep you posted as to exactly what happened with that attempt. Uh, it certainly looked remarkably frightening. From the pictures I can see, they, uh, they're sorting him out. We'll keep you posted as to what happens. A reminder on next week's program, I'll be telling you about the... There was at least one stunt that involved a professional. This one was to see how far a car could jump. 
Could a car jump over 230 feet? Spoiler alert, no. No, it couldn't. In 1983, stunt driver Richard Smith would give it a go. In a very evil Knievel design, a ramp was set up with cars underneath to see how far the jumping car could travel. I always wondered why other cars were seen as some sort of ideal landing object under other cars. Crash pads not have been a better option. On live TV, Smith would hit the ramp going 140 miles per hour, causing the car to somersault in the air and barely land on the cars below. He ricocheted off onto the pavement. That clip you heard is available to see on YouTube. You can watch this as it happened. Emergency crews rushed out to to a completely decimated car, again, all of which was being watched on live television. How Smith survived was nothing short of a miracle, and host Noel Edmonds had to keep the show going, not knowing if Smith was still alive. It's not that Smith walked away. He broke his pelvis, injured his back, neck, head. Speaking of England and car crashes, another car-related incident would happen years later, when, with all safety precautions assumingly in place, Richard Hammond of Top Gear attempted to hit the land speed record in a rocket car before a tire blew out, causing it to flip upside down at nearly 370 miles per hour. But like the Smith incident, Richard Hammond is a trained driver. This is what can happen even with all the precautions in place. Imagine members of the general public with no experience. You would think that this near-death incident would cause the show to take a few steps back. But no, it didn't. At least this car crash incident was with that trained professional and not some person just calling in on a talk show. This would all change in 1986. So the show had faced legal threats, but that's as far as they went. No action was taken and things were left to function as they always had. The dangerous stunts would continue. Michael Lush was 24 years old and from Southampton. His girlfriend would be the one to put him up for the whirly wheel. On November 8, 1986, Rush would be called up live by the Late Late Breakfast Show. Rush had landed on the stunt called Hang em High and would appear on the show on November 15th. Rush was excited and was the type who seemed to want to take part in some physical risks. Hang em High was like a Harry Houdini stunt in that it involved being tied up in chains or a straitjacket and trying to escape. But when you did, the stunt then involved jumping from an extreme height with a bungee cord from a box before it exploded. A crane would suspend the box 120 feet in the air with no airbags below in case something went wrong. And I don't remember Houdini trying something like this. Lush didn't even start training for the stunt until the 13th. The show was on the 15th. Besides the lack of airbags for the training, there were some other issues. The first was that a professional stuntman had not even tried the stunt yet to see if it was not only doable, but too dangerous to perform. The production team offered one of their own staff to try it out first, but Lush wanted to get going and get as much practice as he could. After all, millions of people were going to be watching this live. Also, the BBC had an expert, I'm using air quotes that you can't see, more on this in a moment, so Lush could be assured he was in expert hands. But as they began to rehearse the stunt, Lush had no communication with the ground. That seemed a little concerning, but at least he had a safety harness and safety helmet. 
but was every safety precaution possible being used? Besides the expert, surely there would be some safety personnel or compliance officers on hand to monitor this whole thing? It turns out there wasn't. The show had a safety officer, many of them in fact, but no one was around on the first day Lush began his training. Could you imagine anything like this happening today? Which is what we'll cover in a bit. Lush would practice the escape artist part of the trick later. Right now, it was about the bungee jump and the exploding box. Again, Lush was not a trained stuntman, had never bungee jumped, and was now standing 120 feet in the air, suspended in a box by a crane. Lush was understandably nervous, and then took two minutes to even proceed with the stunt. Remember, he hadn't even seen the stunt demonstrated. I get nervous at the top of a stepladder, so I can't even begin to understand what he must have been feeling. Even if he didn't want to do it and decided to back out, he was so high up he couldn't communicate with the crane or anyone below. Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally, and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. The Late Late Breakfast Show claimed to use state-of-the-art equipment in their stunts. One of these alleged state-of-the-art pieces of equipment was the bungee carabiner clip. You probably know what I mean. They're the big clip hooks that can easily attach and detach a rope. The clip was attached to the crane, but it sprang loose. Lush would hit the ground from 120 feet high and instantly died. The bungee cord had done nothing and landed on the ground next to him. So what happened? When you go back and read about the history of this tragedy, they stated that the clip only needed the weight of a bag of sugar to be forced open. How was this possible? Did no one check this beforehand? It turns out the expert they used wasn't exactly a bungee or climbing expert. The person had experience with special effects and theatrical tricks, but had never been involved with this type of stunt. There were no equipment experts to double check that everything was functioning properly. And here's the baffling one, among other baffling ones, there wasn't even an ambulance or emergency crews on hand. An inquest obviously took place. One of the first things they did was test the carabiner clip to see what happened. They tested the clip 20 different times, and on 14 of the tests, the clip sprang loose. Then there was the issue with the bungee cord itself. I know nothing about bungee jumping, but I do know the cord is supposed to be elasticized. Was something different inadvertently used? Bungee specialists, including ones who pioneered modern bungee jumping in the UK, had said that they had attempted a similar stunt using three ropes and not just one. One was all that Lush had. It turns out these specialists had warned the BBC that stunts like this, without the proper consultation, could result in death. 
The BBC was then called out by other stunt performers, including Jim Dowdle, who has performed stunts in several huge blockbusters and is known as the stuntman to the stars. He said there was no way a member of the public should have attempted this. This is BBC One. Because of the tragic accident involving Michael Lush while preparing for tonight's edition of the Late Late Breakfast Show, the BBC has decided to cancel this and all further editions of the programme. The Inquisition found a lot of errors involved with the bungee stunt. This time, the health and safety executive was able to prosecute the BBC, but the fine would only be £2,000. The BBC contributed over £120,000 to the family of Michael Lush, Converted for today and with exchange and American money, that's around $400,000. Through the investigation, they revealed that a stunt like this wouldn't even have been performed by a professional unless it had airbags. And as I keep pointing out, a member of the public did this with no previous experience. They also pointed out that even with professionals, a stunt like this would have taken weeks. A non-professional was only given a few days. The show had not taken the proper safety precautions and any discussions of the stunt with a safety officer had happened over the phone. Again, that safety officer wasn't even there the day of the rehearsal. The Late Late Breakfast Show tragedy would have many implications. First, the show was immediately cancelled. Next, the event would have a massive impact on the future of broadcasting in the UK and around the world. The BBC would move away from any stunts that involved a member of the general public. Safety regulations would go through the roof and other networks would learn that risks made in the interest of higher ratings were incredibly irresponsible and illegal. Whether it's in the UK or North America, you would obviously see nothing like this today. It's impossible to even imagine something like this taking place. We're so used to the legalities of every little thing that a stunt like this doesn't even seem feasible. Even if a member of the general public was used in something similar, there would be months of preparation and professional training insane precautions, and so much insurance, it would make your head spin. Safety regulations and precautions are obviously par for the course today, especially in network broadcasting. And it's hard to imagine a time when they weren't always a priority. But like, again, Action Park, I really recommend going back to listen to that show just to see, you know, the lack of precautions at an all-time high. It's just how things were in the late 70s and early 80s. The BBC was trying to stand out during a very competitive Saturday night, and death-defying stunts appeared to be the way to do this. The problem with this is you have to always one-up yourself. People get bored when they keep seeing the same thing, and you have to push the boundaries to keep them engaged. So someone bungee jumps from 120 feet, next time it'll have to be 150 feet, 200 feet. It's insatiable. Eventually, you push it so far, there's no coming back. This was the horrific case with Michael Lush in the Late Late Breakfast Show. It was a tragedy that should have never happened, but it at least served as a warning for other productions and networks that dared to consider taking such an outrageous risk. So let's finish it there. This hopefully was interesting to you, you know, sort of a UK-centered episode, but hopefully interesting to people from everywhere because it did have implications all around 
the world. So as I mentioned at the start and wanted to finish up, I wanted to end with our Patreon of the week. And that is Joseph, who comes from Houston, also lived in the West Coast, ended up moving back to Texas, and him and his wife live in the house on the same spot that his parents' house used to, which is a full circle, cool story. He's also a PhD in American history and teaches international business and history at the University of Houston. So some of his favorites, looking at favorite 80s movies, he went with Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade. And then The Naked Gun is a very close second. Good mix. Favorite cartoon. Again, these are impossible always to pick one, so I'm always looking for some favorites. But he liked Super Friends, Smurfs, Richie Rich, Bugs Bunny Roadrunner during the week, you know, regular He-Man, stuff like that. Favorite band or artist, big Van Halen fan. Also loved The Police and Michael Jackson as a close second and third. Favorite toy he had in the 80s. He loved the speak and spell obviously Star Wars action figures, and he had a Millennium Falcon, which is awesome. I don't know anyone that had the Millennium Falcon. And then, obviously, getting older, favorites became things like the Atari 2600, then the Nintendo. Favorite 80s TV show, Joseph said he's a big TV junkie in the 80s, so, again, another tough call. He loved the comedies. He liked shows like Night Court, Cheers, Family Ties, Fantasy Island, Quantum Leap, things like that. Favorite breakfast cereal, this is one of my favorites always to look into. His is Golden Grams, which I have to say that's probably my number one choice too. Also up there, Corn Pops and Lucky Charms, a perfect breakfast trifecta there. So thank you to Joseph. And Patreon, if you're unfamiliar with it, is the platform to support small independent podcasts like this. So for as little as a few bucks a month, you're able to support the show, but on Patreon, there's different rewards based on the tier. So one of the top tiers is getting shout outs and bios on the show. And then say at the Boba Fett level, that is the Everything 80s Movie Club. And I just did a review of Teen Wolf. So if you're over there, check your feed if you haven't listened to it already. And this one, going back to look at, was surprising and interesting. Not only is the movie more problematic than you may remember, there are massive connections with Back to the Future. And if it wasn't for Back to the Future, Teen Wolf probably wouldn't have happened and not in the way we knew it and the success it had. And it's also a very interesting story in a movie studio putting in the bare minimum to get a movie out. And that was their whole intent. And it's technically considered an indie film. And it was made on a budget of nearly only a million dollars. It was shot in less than a month. And they were absolutely convinced it was going to be a moneymaker. And it was, especially after landing Michael J. Fox. So a pretty interesting show with a a lot more connections than I realized. So if you want to learn more, if you're interested or in a position to support a show like this, just check out patreon.com slash 80s. So that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash 80s. Or wherever you're listening to this on, in the show notes, the description, there will be a link that'll take you right there. Okay, that's it for me. Thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting the show in whatever way you do. All of it is important, but I will be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. 
Loved ones are gone. And for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.